I'm Amanda. And I'm Beth. And this is Life's Life's A Lot. Lot. This podcast grew out of friendship and a mutual desire for transparent community. We learned over the past couple years the importance of talking about our Life's A Lot moments. We just know that opening up about these moments will help break down barriers and build community that's key to a healthier human existence. We want this to be a safe space where people can share their struggles and their triumphs and help us all feel a little less alone. We hope you enjoy. Love you. Bye. Today we're talking to Melanie from Nashville, Tennessee. So where were you born? I was born in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, but I moved, my parents and I, my brother moved to Jackson, Mississippi right before I turned three. So basically I just grew up in Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, I don't remember anything about Pennsylvania. Yeah. A little young for the memories there, but Hey. (laughs) <laughs> was your dad uh in the military or did he just no he's um he's in, in telecommunications so jackson mississippi used to be a hub for telecommunications for some reason and so that's why we ended up there but my dad was um a big part of like the two-way and then text messaging and all that stuff so jackson had like all the big telecom company time. so yeah, it, it's not a great place to live. Not. Why do you, why do you say that? Um, it Jackson has a lot of problems. Like it's always been in the top five first per capita. I mean, I, I, I shouldn't Whoa, say. Oh, really? For many years, um, it was known as the carjacking capital of the. There's a, a lot of racism there. A lot of racism. A lot of crime. Um, and a lot of Mississippi just has a lot of poverty. So it, yeah, it's, it's just not the best place to grow up. Wow. Yeah. And how long you were in Mississippi then for most of your childhood? Until I turned 18 and, and I moved to Nashville. Um, I went to Vanderbilt. So that's how I ended up. But mostly I just kind of you know, wanted to get out of Mississippi. What was your major <laughs> at Vanderbilt? That's right. A big deal. Uh, huh? That's a big deal that you went to Vanderbilt. What was your major? Oh, my major is history so yeah for a long time I didn't do anything with it finally I so know. it goes yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah y'all probably know what that's like yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. indeed um that's fucking great so okay growing up in <sighs> so I grew up in the South, South. too. Georgia, I grew up in yeah. rural Georgia. Oh, okay. and uh, I experienced a lot of uh, similar things that you did, except for we didn't have a lot of murders. We had a lot of um, meth and um, a whole lot of um, drug use where I was uh, living. We lived on 85. Um, so it was a big drug route all the way down to Florida. So there was a lot of crime and stuff like that. And so, um, it was different growing up there because of the racism and, um, a lot of the, uh, different things that you just really became blind to growing up and then moving away. You just really started to notice, like, I just went to go visit my, um, grandma, I mean, my, um, mom and dad this weekend in, it was wild. Like the, they weren't wearing masks. They were very like behind like things that are happening in Nashville that I feel like are normal or day-to-day lives of like putting a mask on when you leave and like washing your hands and social distancing, things that 
I felt like Nashville was kind of lacking in going down to Georgia and rural parts of Georgia. It's like, oh, so you guys don't do this at all. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's scary. If you travel like outside of Nashville, just to other parts of Tennessee, it's like that too. It's kind mm-hmm. of frightening. Literally right outside the city. It's like, yeah, it changes as soon as you city. It's, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's an interesting conversation throughout the COVID times is like <laughs> the Davidson County versus not Davidson County kind of like clean break, you know, because it's like as soon as you get outside, it's like, yeah, yeah. I'm still seeing a lot of uh, <laughs> signs for um, politics, that, it, it, see a lot of signs for politics that I don't agree with when I leave Nashville. I always feel like I'm a little in place. So Mississippi is that way. And I imagine Georgia is probably very conservative. Yes. And you're from Illinois. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for me, it's like, you would think it wouldn't be uh, similar mindsets, but like Illinois is pretty, uh, I mean, we've got Chicago, but as far as the state, I feel like it's pretty Southern mindset as well, which is kind of a, a weird thing to say, but it's like, I think it's just that small town mindset, you know what I mean? Like you, you're raised, grow up, this is where you live and this is the, you know what I mean? And I think that that's kind of that, I moved around a lot, but I feel like I I kind of, we always had these little towns, you know, that like, I kind of got placed into the existence. Like I got to see the, the existence that everybody was living. You know, like everybody grew up together from their whole life and Bobby Joe lived down the street or da, 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 you know, whatever. So it was really interesting for me because it's like I got kind of thrown into the mix of all of that each time. And it was in different chunks of my life, like, you know. Yeah. Middle school, high school, <laughs> all these really awkward times to like try and exist as a human and, you know, whatever. But being thrown into those different little circles and mixes and you know, just seeing that uh, different mindset of like, okay, this is the existence here. Um, that hive mind almost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And being the outside observer of that. Sorry. Oh, you're fine. After you eat. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Kids. They weren't cackling down the door, you know. <laughs> they were. Uh, playing earlier so yeah <laughs> so uh how much of a culture change was it when you uh moved from jackson mississippi to nashville it was a lot more it was a lot different than i expected far away but like kind of like what you were saying it takes getting out of it to realize you know that those things aren't normal so when i moved to nashville i was um really surprised to see like it's not segregated here as much you know yeah in in jackson mississippi everything is like completely segregated so that was um surprising to me and when i went to vanderbilt it was the first time i ever went to school with a black person first time and uh, when i moved into my dorm um the girl that lived next door to me erica um is one of my best friends now and she was like my first black friend ever So I realized like, gosh, I've been living in a segregated racist society. And, and I mean, I I knew it, but I didn't realize how different it was just for, you know, a six hour drive away. 
So yeah, it was, it was culture shock, but in a good way. I've been really uh, thinking a lot about what makes um, big cities such a culture shock to small cities and how um, there's such a difference. And like you said, it really does take you getting out of a place to really know what it's like. And uh, when I was driving home and then when I was driving back to Nashville, I was thinking, why do people in bigger cities have a lot of the same ideals and people in smaller cities have a lot of the same ideals? What's the disconnect between the two? And I'm just kind of like wrestling between that. So I'd be interested to hear like you guys' opinion on like why you think big cities have different um, like standards versus smaller cities being more relaxed and um, a little bit behind the times. People don't move to cities like people move to big cities very rarely they move to like a small town only if like maybe they have family there or whatever so you don't see a lot of different people coming in it's like the same people all the time you don't have a lot of immigrants you don't have a lot of diversity it's like a stagnant group of people that they continue to live there and and um kind of like what amanda was saying like the same people so i think if you continue to live in a place that doesn't change the people don't change and you don't get like you don't get a lot of different opinions and viewpoint styles and I think especially when it comes to like immigration like immigrants do not go to small towns so you never see them and so people are like you know they don't they're not used to seeing people that are different mm -hmm. that's my my take at least yeah what do you think Amanda yeah I agree. I think it's the different people for sure. Cause like, if there's not a big hub for jobs, then like nobody who's coming in there, you know, unless it's for a specific thing, people aren't just going to randomly like any, meeny, miny, mo pick this tiny town to move to. Um, I think with that, it's like the ideas too. Like if even in my existence, like, so I just came out of this super, super, intense relationship like eight-year relationship not a healthy thing whatever and for me the issue in that chunk of life was my isolation and was the fact that like I literally had two individuals in my life existing so there was no like additional information there was no additional conversation than like this little existence where like I went to work, I existed with this person and I saw this person every once in a while, you know, like it was just this tiny thing. So I think like in these tiny towns, like if you just have this little circle, you're only going to have these little conversations and whatever. And if there's nobody else coming into the mix or there's no ideas, if like they're not, there's nobody in that circle, like pushing you to like go out towards different ideas, you know, then you're not gonna think about those things. And I think that's, that's how like, you know, I was raised super Christian. So it took me 32 years to come out of that cult mindset of like, you know, this is bad and this is good. You know, like that takes a long time because that's all you're told. So I think that's kind of the same thing in like the small town is like, this is all you got. You got this one narrative, you got this one, <laughs> one horse town and this is what we talk about. You know, I feel like that's kind of how it happens. And it can happen so easy too, even just like, in a work existence. Like I've had that happen, you know, in chunks of time when I've worked in like a job for a chunk of years. And I realized like, I haven't really grown because my circle's this big, you know, like it's, it's just like, 
<laughs> graphic, but I feel like I say this. I'm like, it's just like that analogy. <laughs> I'm just going to say it because that's what just happened in my own head. And I'm like, I think this is the analogy that you just say to yourself. But it's like the analogy that I say to myself where like you're drinking your own piss for survival, but eventually it's just poison. <laughs> like you can only drink your own piss for so long, <laughs> like, you know? So it's just like, I don't know. I feel like that's where I'm at. And like in my life, just been challenged in the last year to be like, okay, drink something else. Like <laughs> expand your circle. <laughs> it's not good for you. <laughs> Okay, that's my rant. Go. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my. Well, um, so I wanted to bring up one thing. And um, if you're not comfortable talking about this, let me know. Um, But you mentioned in your questionnaire that you and your family were kidnapped. So um, that both um, we're both very interested in hearing about that. If you don't mind sharing. Uh, No, I don't. Um, I was 16 years old and my brother was in a band with these three, there were five brothers and he was in a band with three of them. And they had an uncle that they always talked about who, you know, they always said he was like mentally unstable. And I met him a few times. Um, We would like give him a ride to work and whatnot and going away to college. And he, um, my dad was like, I mentioned my dad was in telecommunications and he had invented like the two-way pager and he was getting a lot of like news coverage and stuff. And so this guy assumed that um, we must have a lot of money. So he started watching our family and like kind of knowing like when my dad comes home from work and stuff. And he lived really like the other side of the fence almost like in an apartment complex. And one night when my dad was actually out of town, um, I went outside to get like a book out of my car. I'll never forget it. Um, went out in the garage and I heard something in the garage and I looked to see, cause I thought it was an armadillo. Cause I had just seen an armadillo in our garage. And um, he was actually waiting for my dad to get home. When I went out there and started looking around, I, I saw him. And so he put a gun to my head and went in the, maybe let him in the house and tied up my mom and I, and my dad came home. Like he flew into town a couple hours later and he came into a dark house and saw that. And basically the guy wanted a million dollars. Um, and, um, he stayed at our house overnight. And then the next day my mom and I went to the bank in downtown Jackson to, well, we first, my dad called and said, this money. And they were like, uh, are you kidding me? Like, we don't have a million dollars in cash, like on us. And so he said that he was going to take my dad somewhere for a few days until we got the the money because they said it's going to take a few days to you know to get that kind of money and so he's like I'm going to keep your dad for a few days and and whenever you have it we'll you know we'll trade off but then the bank called back within a few minutes and said actually we can have the money ready for you now so come on down and luckily my dad had been going to that bank for 20 years um and they knew him and they suspected something was up and so they asked they said come on we can get it for you and so me and my mom went to the bank and he said they're the guy who kidnapped us, he said, there's going to be people that are watching you. You're being followed, blah, blah, blah. Um, and when we got there, the FBI was there and they started questioning us and we told them and to make a long story short, they started trailing him in a helicopter, um, like following him. And he was driving my car and my dad was blindfolded with sunglasses on. And we, we had, we met up with him. There was, um, like an FBI guy and, <laughs> 
my car and, and uh, the car that we were in, which is my mom's car. And he got out right before we met up with them, gave him the money. And then he said he was going to go count it. And then he was going to let my dad go. And he counted it and he was ready to let my dad go in a grocery store parking lot that was really close to our house. And I had like two or three friends who worked there and um, two of them witnessed this. Like he got out of my car and he was leaving my dad in my car. And he said like, don't take off your blindfold or sunglasses until you count to a hundred or whatever. And so he got out of my car and the FBI, you know, was like freeze. And he started shooting into the parking lot and they shot him seven times and he died. And I didn't know who he was because he had a ski mask on. Um, so I didn't know who he was until after they took him to the hospital and pronounced him dead. And then um, that's when I found out who he was because I had met him a couple times. I didn't know him well. So it was crazy. It was like 26 hours altogether, but um, nobody got um, hurt. And he actually, like, he, he wasn't cruel to us. I mean, what he was doing was obviously terrible, but he didn't, he wasn't physically um, abusive or unnecessarily, you know, cruel. Right. So, and, you know, it was just really awkward because that was my brother's friend's uncle. So it was kind of, and they questioned my brother's friends um, because the gun belonged to one of them. So the FBI took them in and questioned them. And then they finally said that they had nothing to do with it. They didn't know about it, but my mom was still very like paranoid that they were in on it. So it was just a very strange situation. My parents became really overprotective after that, like really scared. So that was one of the reasons why I, I, um, I actually went to college a year early. I, I really just wanted to of there. So uh, yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. Cause yeah, my parents just became very, very like fearful. Um, I mean, I guess I can't blame them, but it was, right. you know, it was one Their of those response. things. That, huh? well, holy shit. That story. Yeah, it was crazy. Your experience is just so wild and how much you remember is really wild. Like I know like trauma really, really imprints itself on our brains but wow yeah. thank you for sharing that yeah. yeah yeah what about I mean talk about a fucking small town living how in the hell did life change for you after that like was it just all anybody could talk about for the rest of your existence there is that what you felt like yeah um <laughs> like I I didn't school the next day, uh, you know, we stayed at, we didn't ever stay at that house again. So the weirdest part, I should say, um, that was the last, that was my last night in that house. And I had grown up in that house since I was little mm -hmm. and, um, we never stayed at that house again. So the night that it happened, we went and stayed at my parents' friend's house. And then the next day, my mom and my, my mom and dad went back to our house and they were sort of trying to clean up. And the guy, um, had flushed a lot of stuff down the toilet like a lot of important papers and like files and stuff and so the toilet was my mom was like had a plunger and she was trying to unclog it and my dad came up behind her and she she had a full-on panic attack like she had to go to the emergency room and mm. she couldn't um she couldn't speak like she just completely lost it so my dad you know she spent hours and and the psychiatrist came in and he was basically guessing that we don't stay there anymore so we never stayed in that house again we stayed with friends and then like my parents bought a new house I always dream about that house all the time and 
so in on March 2nd, the tornado happened, you know, and that house that I was living in when the tornado happened, I had lived there for 15 years. Like that was the house I've lived in my longest, the longest in my whole entire life. And the tornado happened on March 2nd and we never stayed there again either. So I feel like the two homes that like meant a lot to me, they, they both ended like very abruptly, yeah. very abruptly. Like yeah. I never had like closure yeah. with it. It's just it's one of those things that I feel like that that affects me because I dream about that all the time. That is so interesting. You still dream about that. Yeah. So tell I me, mean, um, tell me weird. what your mental health was like after all that because you discovered him and um, did you have panic attacks like your mother or did you just kind of disassociate from it or did you get help and? Um, I honestly felt like I was okay. I. I you know, I, I was, I was kind of scared a lot. I had a friend who gave me a gun, which is, you know, a terrible idea because I didn't know how to use it and did not have a support or whatever. But um, I took it because I was kind of scared. And for many, many years, I felt like I was fine. But in January of 2020, there was something that brought it all back. And I had a panic attack and I went to the doctor and I think it was, it had to do with that. And it, I don't know why it took so long for mm. it to show back up, but basically um, my dogs got in a big fight and I was trying to close the door, like our door on one of them to keep one outside and keep one inside just to try to like, I had gotten them broken up and then I was trying so hard to push the door closed on them. And that's when it all came because that night that the guy came in gun to my head, I ran in the house and I was trying with everything I had to push the door closed. Like I fell back on my back and I was trying to kick it closed with my feet. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, just trying to do that with my dogs, like it's something happened. And I spent three days like not able to breathe properly. And I kept thinking like, what the hell? And finally I went to the doctor and realized that, um, you know, how many years later, gosh, I was 16 to 42, so I'm terrible at math, but a lot of years later was the the first time it kind of came back to me and I realized that it was still affecting me, but immediately after it happened, I thought I was fine. Wow. Mm. Wow. That's interesting how that, yeah, it is. The trauma kind of lived. That happens with people like you, you put it away somewhere and you think it's okay. And then sparks that memory or that trigger so now I understand that I've heard a lot of other people say that but now I can Mm. say I I really do understand it so um I get it you (laughs) lived in East Nashville during the tornadoes is that correct yeah and um um, Amanda and I also live in East Nashville but we live on a different side of town uh than when the tornadoes hit oh and I'm sorry. What? I was thinking it just missed us. Um, oh yeah. Over, like on the other. I live on Cahal, um, right okay. by the Speedway, and um, Amanda lives um, a little bit more south or north. Palm Joy. Palm Joy. I don't mm-hmm. know where that is. So um, we weren't directly affected by it, but a, a lot of our friends and um, obviously you were, who we were supposed to interview the day of the tornadoes. Um, so would you mind sharing a little bit of your experience uh, with that happening as well as um, how your life has changed since 
everything's happened. I mean, the tornadoes happened and then the next thing we knew, everything was shut down. Yeah. The timing was right. very strange, but also I'm, I'm glad that, you know, the COVID thing didn't get really bad before the tornado because they're, okay, let me just back up. So, um, around, I guess around midnight, like my phone and my husband's phone alarms started going off and we woke up and, you know, you're from Georgia. You might know, like in Mississippi, tornadoes are very frequent. Yeah. The so in Georgia just kind of, yeah. Um, okay. We grew up with the sirens. So I feel like same. <laughs> and so it's kind of normal for people to just be like, oh, well, whatever, you know? And so my husband and I were like, um, we got up and we went to the TV and we're like, should we get the kids up? And we were both kind of debating about that. And we thought, well, it's probably not, probably not a big deal. And then as soon as they said something over Inglewood, we looked at each other and I was like, I'll grab Killy and you grab Damien. We went and grabbed them both and went downstairs. Power went out almost immediately. And about a minute and a half later, the upstairs of our house, which is where we lived, like it was a, the, the downstairs was like a basement, a basement, like house so we all you know our bedrooms were all upstairs and probably a minute and a half to two minutes after we got the kids out of their rooms the upstairs was completely destroyed I mean wow completely oh that just gave me chills a minute and a half wow it gives me chills because like we sat there and talked about it like should we get them up or not and I just think if we didn't um our lives would be so different right now because my son Damien like my older son his bunk bed was um, in the front yard. I mean, mm. the ceiling was down. Like, and and my other child in his room was like glass everywhere, like a big shard of glass stuck in the wall. That I mean, that could kill somebody. Yeah. So we feel. I mean, very lucky. We went down to the basement, and our, we had a roommate at the time, and her room was in the basement. So she joined us in our like our music room, our band room, where. Um, which is perfect for a tornado. There's like no windows or anything. And so we were safe in there, but as soon as it passed, there was just glass everywhere. So we had to get out of the house in the dark with no shoes and, you know, glass all over the place. So it was just, and the house was totaled. I mean, there was no way it could be livable again. So we just um, took the insurance money and bought a new house. Wow. Yeah, I've seen little updates. Um, you guys have just kind of made it your little like sanctuary. I feel like that was yeah. like the best to see just little like updates of you being like, we're doing this and like, da, 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 and like finding the moments, you know, and I think that like, that was so beautiful to just see that, you know, through Facebook, like what is Facebook, but just the little things of like, God, what a horrific thing that they just went through, but they're making the best of it and their family, you know, at least like they have each other, and, you know? Yeah. I think it definitely made me want to like, like you said, make our home a sanctuary, which I found once I realized that I found that to be kind of odd because we had just lost a home. So it, it almost seems like that would make me not want to invest so much in a home seeing yeah. as how, you know, it could, it's so transitory, but it had the it made me like really want to make this home and um we were lucky because we were able to sell our property for a lot more than paid for the house 15 years ago because you know east nashville Mm -hmm. so um i think that i you know we've 
kind of wanted to treat ourselves with like getting a pool and, you know, just make it something that we, somewhere we could be happy. And with all the quarantine stuff, like I'm really glad that um, settled down in a home before all that started. Cause I know a lot of people who were displaced from the tornado, they were living in places and just kind of not settled. Yeah. And um, we almost did that. Cause we were all thinking about rebuilding our house in the same place, which would have taken forever. So the whole time we would have been like in a temporary place. And I feel like that would have been for the kids and, and me. I mean, I think yeah. it's good to have that settled feeling. At least it's important to me. Did you stay in um, East Nashville or did you move to a different part of Nashville? We, we live about a six minute walk from our old house. Wow. <laughs> very close, yeah. Very close to where it used to be. Um, I walk down there sometimes just to sort of like see what's going on, but yeah, we're, we're just off of um, Riverside, very close to Eastland and Riverside. So oh, like same area. Great. Uh, that's great. At least you didn't have to give up your neighborhood, you know, like, I know, I feel like that's the biggest thing for me. Like, I don't care if I move houses, but like the neighborhoods are so important to me. I know I could never leave East Nashville. Like, yeah, I, that was one thing that was really important to me when we started looking for houses. Like it has to be around here. It feels like home. Um, I have bought a house in Franklin and their house is about the same price that I paid for that we paid for the house that we're in now. And it is their house is like twice the size of this one. <laughs> you know, you move out of East Nashville and you can get so much more. Oh, I money, know it. I, I know was, it. I would rather get a smaller house and stay in this neighborhood because it's to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's like people buy in places in New York City. It's like some people just don't understand, but it, it's you you want to live somewhere, <laughs> you know, it's the vibe. It's, can I walk? Can I bike? Can I, you know, it's mm -hmm. like you have to feel welcome and like you fit in. And like, when I take walks and I see all the signs people have in their yards, I'm like, this is the for me. I yeah. feel, I feel like I fit in here. You know, mm -hmm. this is the vibe I want. Yeah. <laughs> so how has it been um, in quarantine and stuff? So you know, new house. So I'm sure there's been plenty of projects for you to do. Um, kids, pets, you know, juggling family things. And have you been teaching during quarantine or was there like, tell us all the things. <clears throat> yeah, I'm teaching full-time at Ball State, but it's all online. Mm. So I don't have to go anywhere, which is, you know, that part's kind of nice. Yeah. Kids are in virtual school. My my kindergartner is going to real school, not real school, but school in person four days a week and then virtual on Fridays. And my six-year-old or six, eight-year-old is virtual um, all five days a week. And so we have someone coming over and like we'll work with them along with the friends. Um, and so it, it hasn't been that bad. Uh, the first couple weeks or so when I everybody was completely um staying away from people I think that was hard but after those first couple of weeks like we kind of got our pod together you know we have like a group of friends that we're with and none of us really hang out with other people so we feel like it's pretty safe and since that happened I I feel like it hasn't been that bad you know still I still see my friends and like their kids are my kids, like we still have our group. So it's not completely isolated or lonely. 
So I feel like it's, you know, I can't complain, but I do worry about all the kids who are, you know, not getting like not getting the education they need right now because it's just, I don't know. It, it worries me to think of like how the, some certain kids who haven't had that support at home, are just getting further behind. Yeah. And then kids who do have that support, mm-hmm. they're, they're just going to create more of like an inequality um, among kids when they come back to school. But I think everybody's doing the best they can. Just, yeah. You know, I feel like the pod school is becoming more and more popular. Um, I know a lot of people in California started that with their lockdowns being more strict than Tennessee's. Mm, Yeah. I mean, I honestly wish wish that we would just have a full on lockdown for like a couple of weeks and, you know, and, and see how much better it could be after that. Yeah. But it would be I don't nice. think most people from like a um, business perspective with your experience in it. Do you think that like a lot of companies would be able to survive if we went on a full grade lockdown? I think that we would, there would need to be more government <laughs> assistance for sure. I mean, Definitely. whenever, yeah, whenever it first started, um, you know, it was getting unemployment and there was uh, a lot of business assistance. Like we, like the PPP and yeah. Uh-huh. And I, I, th- I think that if that sort of thing were to happen again, we, we could survive like a couple of weeks of lockdown. And I think it, that's what we need to do in order to make this thing go away. Because I mean, it's been what, eight months now. Almost that's insane. Yeah. So it's obviously what we're doing is, is not working. Like we're not doing enough. Yeah. So I, I just, I'm ready to see something dr- that's going to actually have a positive. Yeah. I know a lot of people don't agree with that. No, yeah. I feel like I felt that same way since the beginning. I'm like, if it's as scary as they're saying it's going to be like, then why aren't we doing that? You know? Yeah. And it's just like, well, here we are. I disagree a little bit. I, I think that we need to have a lot of more regulations when it comes to things, but I think that we should not shut down our economy um but put further um limitations on businesses and small small businesses to uh limit the amount of exposure that people are experiencing um but also i know that i um don't have any business experience well i mean i think that i I understand what you're saying but i think that a couple of weeks of being shut down completely is better than another eight months of being halfway open, mm-hmm. you know, cause that's not good either. And if it would make it, if the, if the complete shutdown would help this thing go away, then it would benefit the economy in the long run. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Versus the whole year of like right, you know, an right. amount of income that you would have because, yes. of, you know, whatever makes it get under the this is what's help not only the economy but like the people you know mm-hmm. is there anything that you have found um during this chunk of time that has like really you know lit a lit a fresh spark I feel like um I feel like this is been a very challenging time for a lot of people being so isolated and like all the new challenges that have come with just this last chunk of 
months in all of our lives. Um, but I feel like, you know, for me, there's been, there's been a lot of isolation and I've used that with like meditating and really diving inward and like kind of, you know, facing the demons or whatever. And also like, you know, in that discovering new artistic ways that I express myself and things. So that's been really fun. So has there been anything that like you've been doing um, or like whatever creatively? I, uh, um, yeah, I think that's of, of this um, is a lot of us have more time, more free time. We're not, for some people that they're not in traffic two hours a day um, trying to get to work and back home. And um, I, I definitely have felt like I've had more free time. So I've started learning Spanish and I've been reading an insane amount of books, which I'm really enjoying, something I never felt like I had time for before. So I think you're right. Like there's some people, there's some positives to be found in it um, in, in a way. And I feel like I'm, I'm lucky that I have opportunity to make a positive out of this situation. You know, I just worry about people who don't have that. It's yeah. uh, people are really struggling. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. I talk to so, my friend in New York, you know, almost every day. And like, you know, I feel like it's this conversations of us like bouncing back and forth of every other day. I'm like, I'm like really not having a great time. And he's like, it's going to be okay. We're going to, you know, da, 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 and lifts me up. But I'm like, call him. And he's like, I just, it's hard to be in New York. It's really heavy. And, you know, da, da, da. and I'm like, yeah, but it's sunny. And, da, 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 da. you know, try to like cling to the gratitudes and whatever. Yeah. Uh, but it is, it's like, not everybody has someone like that. So it's like, trying yeah. To and think. some people are really right now and completely isolated. So that's, yeah. that's hard. The mental health in the United States has got to experience some kind of change after all of this, because, I mean, it's become clear that, like, we as humans cannot survive by being this isolated. And no matter what your political views are, like, this is not good for us. Yeah. Like, we can all agree that, like, this is not healthy, but we're doing it for the better good. Um, but I feel like after this, I'm hoping that there's going to be a lot of like reform of normalizing, talking about your yeah. mental health and normalizing, seeking help. Um, I was listening to an interview today with Halsey actually, um, who was talking about her mental health and she uh, has bipolar depression disorder and how she came to the realization during this pandemic that she needed help and she needed medicinal help. And so, but she didn't come to that realization herself. She came to the realization when one of her friends said, hey, stop calling me at 3 a.m. I think it's time for us to go seek help together. And they went with her as an ally. And so I feel like that's important too. But just the comfortability of being able to talk about mental health and mm -hmm. being like, hey, I'm not having a good day, like Amanda said, and like having that friend that can be like, hey, I think it's time that you go get medicine. I think it's time that we go seek help and I'll go with you. And that's so important, but that's not something that I've seen a lot of change in. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I totally agree. It's, we, there needs to be, we need stigma around, you know, seeking help for mental health. It shouldn't be seen as thing. Yeah. Uh, and I, yeah, for sure.
What do you do for work? Um, I am a executive assistant for a private equity firm. Okay. So that's a lot of words to say. Um, I follow people around and take notes. (laughs) (laughs) I follow people around and take notes. That's great. I'm not working right now, so. But is that because of COVID? Yes. Um, just because I work with Beth. She has a kidney disease. So I try and stay uh, really safe. And I just, I tried to go back to Rose Pepper and I just like had so much anxiety because it's just like, you're still around people. You're still around humans, even yeah. though you have a mat. You know, it just like was still, it was just a lot. So I am. Um, I'm trying to find something remote, maybe if I can. Um, I'm really fortunate with my job to be able to have Amanda who really takes care of me and my boyfriend who really takes care of me with making sure that they're staying safe, but also my bosses, I work with two people. Um, So that's all I see during the day and they're both over 60. So they're being safe as well. And I feel like I'm in a safe situation, but um, having people in my life like Amanda and my boyfriend who are like hey we should not do this because this is dangerous or hey I need to isolate from you for a while because I feel like I might have been exposed to something having that kind of support in your life during this when you have a pre-existing condition is really great yeah that's awesome yeah it sucks though yeah it does I just want to be reckless I know (laughs) someday we'll be reckless soon (laughs) yeah Uh, I think that back to the mental health thing, I I think that it is hopefully one of the pluses coming out of this, you know, like this time has been really fucking horrible for a lot of people and it's been really hard. You know, I literally got divorced during COVID. So this has been like the most extreme, like to extreme thing for me of like being in a codependent really unhealthy isolating relationship to being alone a lot (laughs) and I think that it's been like I've definitely had chunks in the beginning where I like did not know if I was gonna make it and like if I would if I didn't have friends in my life and if like I didn't have the friendships and like the clarity of mind to be like, Hey, I need people in my life that are honest with me and that will not like beat around the bush. And that I can be like completely like, Hey, like this isn't on you to fix, but like, this is where I'm at just so you know, you know? Um, And I think like that, I don't know if that's just been like in my life and like that's unique or what, but I do feel like these conversations are starting to happen more frequently. Um, And I guess that would be kind of a question of like, you know, what, is that something that you're seeing as well? Like, do we, do we think it is more frequent because of this or like maybe it was just kind of on its way and this has kind of like, you know, whatever, but I don't know if it's just uniquely to me, but like Facebook and Instagram are all about showing me the therapy things. And I'm like, I'm in therapy. I'm doing it. But like, you know, the virtual, like, you know, yeah, like better help apps and- or like, yeah. 
those things. I mean, what do you, do you guys think that those conversations are happening more frequently? Yeah, I've seen a lot of um, things on social media, just reminding people to like check on their loved ones, check on people who live alone. Um, because it is, I mean, it is a lonely time for people who, who live alone and especially people who are completely quarantining. I mean, I can't imagine how that must feel to completely alone all the time. So I do, uh, I'm glad that there's been so much of a, like a, a reminder that, you know, we need to check on each other. We need to make sure we're okay. And yeah. I'm really glad that people are stressing, um, the mental health act as well as like, don't get the, the virus, you know, they're both equally important. Yeah. So yeah, I definitely think it's been more um, talked about lately. I think so too. I'm, and I'm so grateful for it because it's not, it's not just like the like reminder to those who aren't struggling with anxiety or being alone or depression or like whatever the struggle may be like, it's also like for me when I'm feeling alone, isolated and anxious, depressed, whatever. And I'm like seeing a post be like, don't forget to check on your friends. It's like, oh yeah. Like I'm not the only one struggling. Yeah. You know, like, oh right. Like people are saying to check on people, which means I'm not the only one because like right. someone else is thinking about it. You know, like that's just like, cool, 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 cool. Mental health is just so isolating though. It makes you believe like you're the only one with a problem. It makes it feel like you're the only one that's struggling and that nobody else can understand what you're going through. And that's such a lie that our brains tell ourselves because it's not we're not alone in this. Like my depression history and my anxiety history is very similar to a lot of my friends. And I'm able to have that connection of saying like, Hey, I'm really struggling in this specific way. And having other people that understand that of being like, Hey, I want to isolate too. I don't want to talk to people either and be like, Oh, okay. So how can I, cause like, um, my depression really takes the form of not wanting to talk to anybody. And, um, because I feel like I'm a burden to other people. And so um, it's not because I don't want to be around those people, but I don't want to overwhelm them with my sadness. And mm -hmm. so going through um, counseling and going through uh, psychiatry and like really getting to the point of realizing that I'm not the only one that's struggling, like stop being so selfish. Like it's not all about me. It's about all of us together learning how to cope with our depression and be there for each other. And so that's something that's been really um, eye-opening to me of checking on your friends and seeing those posts that really um, help you realize that you're not the only one that's struggling. And for me, that really helps me of being like, oh, okay, so I'm not the burden. It's like yeah. collectively all of us are here for each other to support each other. Yeah. No, that, that, that's good. I'm glad you have a really good support system. Definitely. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's kind of uh, like literally life changing, you know, like <laughs> this, this year has really shown me like it, the people in your life can really make or break you, you know? And I think that having, having beautiful people around you that you can feel safe enough to be like, hey, today's rough, no alarms, but just I love you. And, uh, <laughs> you know, like I remember there was this one day where I hadn't seen 
<laughs> I hadn't seen people in a few weeks because I had to isolate whatever. And our friend Elena had come by to like drop something off or I don't know. And she just goes, how you doing? And I just go, and like, I just breathed in and like could feel the tears right here and was just like, um, you know, it's like not great, you know, but not crying, you know? And she just like, her tears start welling up and she goes, can we like hug? And I'm like, mm-hmm, you know? And it's just like that moment of like, it's okay to share because like, we both felt better sharing, you know? Like the burden was lighter after we both were like, I'm having a hard time, fuck me too. Oh, we're better, you know? It didn't change anything, but just like literally the knowing that like, I'm not the only person who is like feeling a little bit crumbly. Yeah. (laughs) Like, you know, a little bit mushy today. Yeah. Sometimes we're squishy instead. I've enjoyed the conversation. I really have. Me too. There's very few conversations that I have with people that I really feel like uplifted and happier than when I started. And you're definitely one of those people. So thank you for sharing your time with us and uh, letting us into a part of your life. All right. Well, have a wonderful evening. You too. Bye y'all. Bye.